Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. With some of the things that we uh, are seeing in the world, one of the things I'm going to bring to our attention today as we're studying the Abrahamic covenant is the issue of Israel. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, Israel's origins, obviously, today with the Abrahamic covenant and how that plays into the geopolitical world as we see. What's currently going on in Israel right now is they're having the same problem we are with their leftists. Um, Israel is very much... um, I don't know what you want to say, a parallel to the United States in many ways. As we are having trouble with the left and with the wokeism and the transgenderism and all the other junk that you're seeing in this world, uh, Israel is having the same problem. Um, And this is why uh, you see this, this, oh, there's a civil war brewing in in, uh, Israel. Well, it's the same issue that we have here. We have a pre-civil war brewing here in the United States. And Israel is split between those who... you know, follow the Bible versus those who simply follow the dictates of their own will. And it's causing a lot of havoc. So what happened was <clears throat> Netanyahu obviously is in place and is conservative, uh, wanted to revamp the judicial system in, in Israel because you have liberal judges, leftist judges in their court system, and it's been messing up their court system for some time. And these judges go so far as allowing Arabs uh, to build in areas where only Israel should be able to build. And then the judges are, are, even though they're Jewish, are anti-Israel about Israel building settlements in their own land. And so this is how far left the judges are in the court systems of Israel. Okay? Just like we have activist judges, right? You know, um, they do too. And so... Netanyahu was going in there and revamping all of that and getting rid of all that junk. And anyway, that's where the, 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 the leftists broke out and proclaimed foul. And this is why Joe Biden stepped in and voiced his uh, ignorance about the whole situation, saying, well, I, you know, I, I don't think that Netanyahu should do this and yada, yada, yada. And they had a, a discussion, I guess, on Wednesday and Netanyahu has backed off and said, we'll look at it again because it was causing so much civil unrest. But here's what you have to understand. Um, Netanyahu's wanting to clean house. Just like when, when Trump was in, he wanted to clean the swamp out. That's what Netanyahu's doing. But as you can see, when you try to get out swamp creatures, they don't want to leave the swamp, right? And they, they cry foul and everybody that supports them. That's what's going on in Israel currently. And you're saying, well, what's the big deal? Well, I can tell you what the big deal is. This path, this split in Israel is the path that you will see in the end times because the many and the leftists will go this way and eventually do a deal with the Antichrist. That's where this goes. And and then the the others that don't, um, obviously, We'll, we'll hear the two witnesses. We'll see Elijah come back and, and preach to them. And, and what's forming now is the remnant is splitting itself off from the non-remnant of Israel. It's already starting on the ground now. And you can see the split happening right in front of your very eyes. And that split will continue on. So what you're seeing in Israel is very prophetic, very prophetic. And so that's why I always say, keep watching Israel because they're God's timepiece and they show you all the works that God is doing. So what we're gonna to study today is the Abrahamic covenant. And I'm gonna combine chapter 13 and chapter 15 about Israel so we understand where the origins of Israel came from and obviously the future of Israel because God's not finished with them. And what I've entitled this is against all odds because the reason I say that is because one of God's general revelation is the nation of Israel. Um, and we talk about general revelation as far as the creation speaks to a creator. Um, 
chapter two of Romans talks about our conscience bearing witness that we have the law written on our hearts that actually condemns us and makes us guilty. So we search for the answer, which is Jesus. And so you have that as general witness. And another general witness is the nation of Israel. That there is no way you can look at this nation and say that this is an accident because there's no Jebusites or Hittites or Amorites or anything left from that era of the late Bronze Age. They're all gone. And the fact that you still see the Jewish people and the fact that they're reconstituted as a nation should be a walking miracle to anyone who sees it. And it's God's stamp saying, I fulfill my promises. These are my people. Just like the church is his people, the Jews are his people, even though they're in unbelief. And, and therefore, um, this is a major signpost. This is why, because it's, so, it's one of God's general revelations, this is why Satan attacks that general revelation and tries to dismiss it and try to wipe it out, obviously. Just like when you see Satan turning people to worship the creation and you know, the radical environmentalism, right? That's a perversion of general revelation. It's, it's, Satan is trying to cover up the witness of God in, in, in uh, obviously, creation, just like he does with the nation of Israel. He tries to cover them up and, and not let people see that these people are a walking miracle. There's no way they should even be alive today other than just God's supernatural power. So we're going to delve into that. And what we're going to learn through all of this is God is teaching Abraham how to trust him. And God is going to show through us how we should trust him. Now you think, well, I trust God. Yeah, we all do. And you've trusted him for salvation. Okay. But what he's teaching, are there, there are specific gaps in our game where we fully don't trust God on certain issues. And what this, this text actually is showing is not only the Abrahamic covenant, but what God does to prove that he is trustworthy. Now, here's what we struggle with. We know in our heads that God is completely trustworthy. We say it in our heads and we know it theologically that he's completely trustworthy and everyone would agree with that. The problem is we don't function like that. We function in areas of unbelief in categories of our life and really through our behavior, we are saying that God is not trustworthy. And that's why we falter. That's why we don't have the faith that we should have. And we're working on that and trying to get that up to speed nonetheless. But um, anyway, what you're gonna see through this is how God builds Abraham's faith up to where it needs to be. And that's honestly what all of us in this room need. We need our faith strengthened uh, for what's coming. So I wanna blend that as I talk about the Abrahamic covenant as we go through, okay? So anyway, like I talked about this is uh, they had the discussion and, uh, and so the White House now praises Netanyahu because he backed off of taking these judicial activists out of the Israeli, uh, Israeli uh, ranks. Here's the thing you have to understand. As we study the Abrahamic covenant, we've already been told that if you curse Israel, God will curse you. If you bless Israel, God will bless you. Everything the Biden administration is doing is not helping Israel. So therefore, as a world leader, the Biden administration is bringing cursing on America in some form or fashion, and probably is through economics. Because this right there, to, to, to push uh, Netanyahu back into a corner and say, we don't agree with you, is not allowing him to do his job to rid the court systems of bad players. And that's the problem. So that's gonna bring cursing. And so... Um, of course, Netanyahu is going to uh, capitulate to, to Biden because we supply them with millions and millions of dollars of weaponry and all kinds of other aid that we give them. So they're going to, you know, Netanyahu is going to just kind of take a back seat to Biden's money. And that's how that game is played politically. But it's still wrong. Anyway, um, the solution to the political crisis in Israel is biblical government. And that's what the problem they're having. They have the Knesset and they have the court systems and they're just leftists. They're just unbiblical people in positions. And that's what's going on. So the issue then that you and I have to realize, just like with Abraham, is do we have trust issues? 
and we all do to some extent, and that's what we're going to talk about. First John says this about us, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So already, what you're seeing with us is that the faith to believe and be saved has given you the ability to overcome the world. You have been pulled out of the world. And so it's not like you and I can say, well, the world overcame me. you, You have to speak from victory. You've already overcome So you're already ahead of the game in many respects. And so that's what we have to work with to build our faith. We already have this foundation. So let's go back into the text and let's understand it from the Abrahamic covenant side and then the application side. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him. Now remember, Lot and Abraham are separated. Lot looked, remember, he looked and saw the well-watered plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. Notice what God does in this situation. He commands Abraham, lift your eyes now. So it's different than Lot looking and wanting, and now God is saying, now look up, and I'm going to show you something that I want to give you. The idea of lift your eyes now, the word now is na in Hebrew, and it means please look at what you're going to look at, but it's going to be beyond human comprehension. And the fact that Abraham's going to see the land, and God's going to say, I'm going to give you this land, and it's beyond human comprehension because how is he going to give the land to him when all the Canaanites live on there? And so... He's, God's going to say something that takes faith to believe it. So this is how he's building his faith. I'm going to give you something that looks impossible for you to, to accomplish or, or gain. And look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, all the land of Israel. For, I, for all the land which you see, I will give to you and your descendants, the Jews, Right? And the, the descendant thing, actually, it should be translated seed. And the seed can be both plural and singular in the text. So the plural seed is the Jews, okay? But what is the singular seed? Who do you think it refers to? It's Jesus. It's Messiah. It's the Jewish Messiah. So it's both and. It's both referring to the seed of Abraham being the Jewish people, but also the Jewish Messiah as well. So it has a double meaning in that. Okay, so, and it's what? Forever. Not just during Abraham's time, not just during Moses' time, not during King David, forever. So that means in 1948, when they became a nation, that means that land is still theirs forever. Still theirs. So that's why to be a Christian Zionist, it means that we support the Jews' right to the land because of what God said forever, forever. So he tells them, arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I will give it to you. So he says, Abraham, look, what I want you to do is demonstrate your faith. I want to see it active. So what I'm going to ask you to do is, if you believe I can give this to you, walk it. Walk the land up and down and realize that one day I'm going to give it to you. And it's just kind of like even what the Lord asks you to do in his life. He asks you, believe me for this, and then act as if it's going to happen. That's the idea. Start living your life as if it's going to happen. That's what he's saying. So for instance, if he says that one day you're going to be a king or a queen over the earth, and you will inherit the earth and rule and reign with him. What does that imply? Well, that implies faith, because you don't see it now. You don't have a crown on your head right now. But what does that mean? Well, act as if you do. Act as if you have that coming. And if you act according to your position, that's how you walk in faith. See, what people make a mistake of with obedience to Jesus is 
They tell themselves, I gotta obey this command, obey that command, obey this command, obey that command, and that, that's how they view obedience. But that's not by faith. It's by, that's by trying harder. Well, I'll do this, and I'll do that, and I'll try, try, try. That's not actually by faith because you won't be able to sustain it that way. The way you sustain obedience is by faith. What do you mean? Well, if I act according to my position, that, that, I, uh, that I reckon my sin nature dead and I crucify it every day, then it will lend towards obedience because of my faith, not because of trying harder. That's the idea. You must believe what God says about your positions, not only now, but in the future, and live accordingly, and then you will obey. It's an automatic. And basically, you know, that, that starts the problem of how people deal with their Christian life, is they don't do that. They just try to give it their all, give it their old college try, and that will fail you every time. You'll only be able to sustain that uh, for a short period of time. The length of time is faith. Now, I'll give you an example. God says, you shall not murder. Okay? That's carried over into the law of the Messiah. You shall not murder. And if I'm going, I'm, if I'm going to obey that by faith, it's not by, well, I'm going to really try not to murder someone today. Right? It's not that, what is it? It's the fact that I believe that God has said that this is wrong and that um, people are made in the image of God and therefore, by faith, I take what God has said and I won't act on it. That's how you keep that command. I trust God and what he says. And so that's a different way of acting. So anyway, what you're going to see, I'm going to show you a little short video of the land he was supposed to walk up and down and look at and take by faith that one day this would be his. Um, where's the video at? Here we go, here we go.
So that's a glimpse of what modern day Israel looks like today. But the land that would be given to Abraham will happen in the Messianic kingdom for a thousand years. And that land will look even greater than that. It will look like the Garden of Eden again. And that's what Abraham has promised because he never saw the promise in his own life, but he was told to walk it. Walk the land because one day in the future you will have this. So live according to your position, Abraham. So that's how he strengthened his faith. Some, some good news as, as some uh, Christians are starting to do this dialogue with Israel about their rights to the land. And Israel's finding a friend in some Christians, not all, but some Christians that support their right to the land. So this is some, uh, some good news other than negative news, but that includes us. Understand this, that Rock Harbor, you're part of a church that actually got picked by the Israeli consulate to be one of the churches they, they, they talk to to make sure that the right information about Israel gets out. So I want you to understand that. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing that, yeah, it's a, a feather in our hat, spiritually speaking, to be able to, to, that the Israeli government would see that and realize that they got a support, at least from Rock Harbor and other churches, very, you know, a small minority. So it's a big deal spiritually. So this is a good thing. So he continues on. He says, I will make your descendants, the Jews, as dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. So it's the idea of using an illustration of saying that your descendants, the Jews, will be innumerable. You won't be able to count them is the idea. Um, And and so with, with the modern state of Israel... That's what we have now. And I think there's about somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 million right now. Half of Israel lives, uh, sorry, half of the Jews live in Israel and the other half live here in America, primarily um, San Francisco, LA area. LA has the largest concentration of Jewish uh, people. And then obviously New York uh, is the other third spot, uh, the highest concentration of Jewish people. So I saw, I was uh, um, speaking yesterday in Huntington and uh, I was driving back and I was going through uh, the 405 right where you get to um, by UCLA in that area, you know, that kind of area, Wilshire and all that. I saw a huge billboard and, um, and it said, um, hey churches, do you, do you know why we have to have armed guards and, it, and, then, um, it, and then it said underneath, fight anti-Semitism. And, and I, I, they had a billboard up there. Churches, do you know why the synagogues have to have armed guards? Well, if you know the backstory on that, in that whole area, uh, there's a high concentration of Jews in that area. And every Saturday, almost they, they get attacked uh, with firebombs, all kinds of uh, uh, stuff that they throw at the windows. And so the windows of the synagogue are actually bulletproof because it's so bad, uh, the anti-Semitism down in LA. And uh, so I saw that sign. I'm like, wow, it's, I don't think the churches really understand what Israel has to put up with even in here in America. Anyway, uh, he goes, then Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth tree of Mamre, uh, which, are, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. So he goes back to where he went, uh, where he came from, and there he's going to basically settle. And Hebron is, is, was renamed Hebron because it means friend. And it was renamed after Abraham when Abraham was declared a friend of God. So Hebron means friend. And so the place was renamed from its Canaanite name to Hebron. And so that's where a lot of the rest of Abraham's life will be in this area, and then obviously Isaac as well. So anyway, he's basically claiming his stake into the land by doing this. Let's continue on. Now we're going to jump to Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. So this is a vision now, saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your magin Avram, your, ex- uh, your exceedingly great reward. So he's going to calm Abram down in his fears. And he's going to say, look, I will be your protection and 
I will be your reward. So that reward is that God is not only the reward, but also the promises of God are the reward. So I will provide and I will protect you during this period of time from the Canaanites. And he will also protect the promises he made to Abraham. So that's where we get the first idea that God is a shield. It's the first time it's used in scripture. And that's where we understand that God is our shield. And he protects and, and provides. Okay, so what does he do? He's building Abraham's trust. So the Lord's gonna demonstrate that he understands, knows, and cares about Abraham's faithful, uh, fearful condition. See, one of the things that how you build trust with God or trust with anybody on a horizontal level is you have to know that the other person is interested in where you're at. And where Abraham's at, he's afraid. He's afraid that the promise is not gonna come to fruition. He's not gonna get the land. His descendants won't be like this, uh, you know, the, the, the dust of the ground because he doesn't have a baby. He doesn't have one of his own. So he's afraid, how is this going to happen? There's a lack of faith. So he's trying to build up his faith. And what God is trying to tell Abraham, don't be afraid. I know where you're at. I know exactly what I can, I'll do for you. Don't worry about it. So he's, he's being empathetic to Abraham. That's how God proves he's trustworthy, is that he empathizes with you. He knows the situation you're in, and he's telling you and I, don't worry about it, I'll provide and I'll protect you. But Abraham said, Adonai Yahweh, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? So there's his fear right there, okay? And his, the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. This is a servant of his, okay? This is what typical happened in the Middle East when you didn't have an heir, you had to give it to your, your servant. So he's, gonna, he's thinking this way. Then Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. So he's, he's struggling with this. What are you gonna do about this? Do I, do I give it to Eleazar, Damascus? Is that my heir? And this is what happened in the vision. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Notice what came to him, the word of the Lord. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Saying, this one shall not be your heir. Talking about Eleazar. But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So notice what Abraham has been given. He has been told his descendants will be like the dust of the earth, will be like the stars of the heaven. And later on, he will tell them like the sand of the seashore. So he gives them three promises. This is how innumerable your descendants, the Jews, will be. He continues on. And what is this? This is building Abraham's trust. God, the Lord's promises that he will protect and provide what Abraham needs in order to accomplish the task the Lord has given him. So whatever the Lord has told you to, to, to do for him, and you're gonna say, well, it's impossible. How am I gonna do this? God is saying, look, trust me. I will make the provision. I will protect everything for you to do the call. So just keep moving forward. Don't stop. Don't let your fear stop you. I'll make sure it happens. I'll open the door when it ne the time needs to come. I will make the impossible possible. So again, building up Abraham's faith. And then a parenthetical gets stuck in here by Moses. And the parenthetical is trying to explain to you and I why God is doing this for Abraham and why he's decided to make a covenant and partner in this relationship with Abraham. Why? The parenthetical says, and he believed, and the Hebrew word believe means to lean your whole weight upon. He believed in Yahweh, and he accounted, and the word accounted in Hebrew has to do with imputed, uh, to, put one, uh, to put something in someone's account, like to put money in your bank account. He imputed it to him for righteousness. So this is not like when Abraham got saved. He was already saved uh, when he got called in the Ur of the Chaldees. But what Moses is trying to say is, this is why the Abrahamic covenant is going down. We have a believer that is willing to cooperate with God's call. And since Abraham is willing to cooperate, then God will use him. But first it establishes why God's willing to cooperate with him. 
Abraham is a believer, and it is credited to him as righteousness through that belief. That is exactly what the Apostle Paul will say in Romans about how you and I are saved. We're saved by faith, like Abraham, and God gives us his righteousness forensically, and that makes us righteous in his eyes, even though practically we're not. But that is the basis in which God wants to work with you in carrying out your particular call and mission, okay? He can't work with an unbeliever. He has to work with believers, and then that believer has to cooperate with him in doing that call. And so that's why Moses puts the parenthetical in there, because at the base of all this, you must work from a foundation of faith if you're going to continue to do the call, because everything's about faith. Then he said to him, I am Yahweh. He's given his personal name out. This is the personal name of God who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. Well, what's God trying to say? What is he doing to build up his trust? He is demonstrating that I have already done this for you and I will do it again until I accomplish what I want to accomplish. What God is stating is we have a history together. Look into your past and see me working in your life, and I will continue the same thing. Looking at your past interactions with God actually builds up your faith. You have to look back of how God helped you, and that increases your faith. Continues on, and he said, Adonai Yahweh, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he's asking, he's not doubting, he's just like, Tell me the steps I need to do in order to make, to make this happen. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Five. Five sacrifices, right? Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two, down the middle, and placed each piece opposite of the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. So what you have here is a blood sacrifice, okay? And a blood sacrifice means that there's atonement being made as well, okay? So God says, I want you to split these animals in two, one on each side, okay? This is classic for a blood covenant in the Middle East. This is exactly what God is doing. And what would happen is you would split the animals and cut them in two, and what does that mean? It means that the partners making the covenant, that if they do not fulfill the covenant, what happened to the animals will happen to them. They will also lose their lives and spill their blood and be cut in half if they don't fulfill the obligations in the covenant, okay? So that's a typical blood covenant from the Middle East, And then what would happen, they would split it and they would have the blood drain into the middle and both parties would actually walk between the animals. There would be a path between the animals and walk through the blood together as they go through it. And that would solemnize, that would sign, seal, and deliver that the covenant was now valid, okay? So this is what God's having him to do. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. So remember, he's cut these things in two during the day, and he's still waiting on God. So what happens is the vultures start coming down wanting to eat the meat, okay? But there's something here. There's something more than this, and Abraham has to fight to keep them off. Now, the vultures are real vultures. This really did happen, but they're symbolic of something. The vultures are unclean birds, okay? They're unclean. It's not a dove, it's a vulture. They're unclean. You can't eat them kosher-wise. You're not supposed to touch them because vultures deal with death, right? So you don't touch animals that deal with death. So Abraham's gonna have to fight these things off the whole day until Yahweh shows up, okay? He's told to do this. But what is it, what is it symbolic of? It is symbolic that once this covenant is made, 
then the covenant will face opposition until the almost the end of time. That there will be constantly vultures trying to destroy the Abrahamic covenant. And let me go one step further. It not only means humans will do it, trying to wipe out the Jews and, and sinful man. People say, why are people anti-Semitic? It's because of their sin nature that anything God loves, anything, a promise that God has made to the Jewish people, there's a spiritual jealousy. The Jews are able and humanity is Cain, Right? And Cain did not want to go through Abel to get the sheep and the lambs to sacrifice. He would rather offer his own stuff to God. Cain represents sinful humanity wanting to go their own way to God as the Jews represent Abel and you have to go through Abel to get the proper sacrifice to offer God because Abel is the only one that has the lamb. You must understand this. Salvation is of the Jews. Your Messiah is Jewish. You must go through the Jews to get to the Messiah because he's Jewish. You see how the, the thing works? And because of that, Cain got mad and angry because he didn't want to go through Abel. And that's how humanity is. Humanity is spiritually jealous of the Jews for their position. Okay, one step further. The vultures are unclean birds. So in the Old Testament and in the New, the way you can also translate the vultures is that these are demonic forces, fallen angels, demons, who will do everything to try to stop the Abrahamic covenant from happening. And so what we see from since the Abrahamic covenant was cut, that the, the demonic forces and the angels, fallen angels, have been trying to thwart the Abrahamic covenant by wiping out the Jews all through history, even using the church to try to do it. And it's working. It's worked on the church. The majority of the church doesn't even think about the Jews. They have no Israelology. Some of the church is anti-Semitic. Satan was very successful in getting the church to turn its back on Israel. That's why many of your commentaries don't understand the text because the commentaries have divorced themselves from the Jewish background. And so then they read it, they read it in a regular English and they don't see the Jewish idioms behind it. They don't even understand the Jewish language. They don't understand how to interpret prophecy by Jewish mechanisms because they're so thoroughly anti-Semitic. So with that being said, this projects into the future. The Jews are still hated by the world and Satan and the fallen angels. Satan's job, he thinks, is to wipe out every Jew on this planet. Why? It null and voids the Abrahamic covenant. And if he can wipe out every Jew, then God can't fulfill his promise and Jesus won't return. That's Satan's game. If there's no Jews to call on Hosanna, come save us, then there can't be a second coming. There can't be a millennial reign because that's all tied to the Abrahamic covenant. So God is showing through Abraham, this is the way the covenant will be and how it will be opposed the rest of the time. So understand this, trusting the Lord will require that you fight off the enemies that will attack God's plan and purpose for your call. My call is always constantly being challenged. So will yours. If you're doing the will of God and you're out there, doing exactly what you're supposed to do, you should expect the vultures. The vultures will come and attack your personal call and make you doubt that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Every time. That's their job. Now watch what happens here. Something gets very eerie, very scary. 
Now, when the sun was going deep, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. So it's the idea, he's still in a, he's gonna be put into a vision. He's gonna be conscious, but his body is asleep, if that makes sense. So he, in his mind, he's still awake. And in his mind, he actually can see what's going on, even though his body is asleep. So he's seeing this in a vision. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. What was, what is this, this dark night, this horror that he sees, a great darkness, something very evil, something, a, a, a premonition that's going on. Then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be the strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. What's that a reference to? That's Egypt, right? And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now the idea is, he's saying, there's something horrible that will happen to your descendants and it will continue to happen until Jesus comes back basically. And it's the idea that they're gonna go into bondage in Egypt. And that's the first evil that we perpetrated on the Jews to wipe them out. Pharaoh wanted to wipe out the Jews. Pharaoh is a type of antichrist. And the first way he did is by trying to drown all the Jewish boys in the Nile. Remember that? He was basically trying to eliminate the Jews. So that will be the first attempt of eliminating the Jews. So the horror and the scary part that he sees in the vision is that his own people will go through processes throughout history of people and the demonic forces trying to wipe them out. So you go from the Exodus, then you go into the land of Canaan with Joshua, and there's a fight going on with the Canaanites trying to wipe them out while they try to drive uh, the Canaanites out. Then you will move into other situations like in Persia, where evil Haman tried to wipe out every Jew on the planet, and his, his, he was stopped by Esther, remember that? Then you move into the modern day history, and modern day history you have the Holocaust, which was an attempt to wipe out every Jew. And you can see the, the memory of all that. And then, now we have today, Israel's turning 75 years old, and they're still in opposition, and one more holocaust is coming. One more horrible terror is coming. Revelation 12 talks about it, that the Antichrist will go and persecute the woman. The woman in Revelation 12 is the, the, the nation of Israel. And there will be a final attempt to wipe out every Jew. And Satan will be very successful in wiping out two-thirds of Israel. Only one-third will remain. So what Abraham is seeing is the whole history of the Jews that, yes, I'm gonna promise this, but there's going to be massive attacks on your people to wipe them out because of this. So, trusting the Lord requires the risk of dark times in your personal life. If you're gonna follow God in faith, you have to accept the dark times. You have to deal with them. You have to realize that. That's what he told Abraham. That's why this horror came upon them. It's not gonna be peachy king to follow God's will. It's not gonna be tiptoeing through the tulips. You will be attacked for what you're doing. And you have to accept it. That's what Abraham is realizing. Now watch this. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, and that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. Now remember, if you made a blood covenant in the Middle East, both parties had to walk through the blood between the animals, right? Both parties did, hand in hand, walking through it. That if we violate this, then this will happen to each one of us who violates it. But remember, what's Abraham doing right now? What's his body doing? He's asleep, but he's seeing this in a vision in his mind, okay? So he's, he's asleep, but he still sees this. There's only one party walking through the blood sacrifice. And who is this? It's Yahweh himself. So Yahweh appears 
as a smoking oven and a burning torch. What is that? That's the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire that they would eventually see in the Exodus, right? How Yahweh revealed himself in a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire. So the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire is actually walking by itself through the sacrifice, signaling what? That I'm the only one in this covenant and I'm making the promises. Abraham is not walking with me. It is a unilateral covenant. Means that I am obligated, Yahweh is obligated to keep his promises and Abraham is not. Oh, wow. You mean even if the Jews act bad, God will fulfill his promises to the Jews? Yes. Even when he kicks them out of the land, even when he disciplines them, he will still maintain the Abrahamic covenant and make sure it comes to fruition because God is now the one that's guaranteeing it unilaterally. It's not dependent on the Jews. It is satanic to say that the Jews have been rejected by God. It is satanic. That's a direct attack on this solemn ceremony that Yahweh is actually putting himself through to say, I'm gonna make sure it happens. I'm gonna make sure Abraham walks the land. I'm gonna make sure my Messiah rules and reigns for a thousand years. I will make sure that the Jews survive. I will make sure that they have access to the land by me, by me alone. And so what does that mean for us today? The Abrahamic covenant is still in effect. And I can tell you this, the people and Christians that don't understand that, they will gravitate to anti-Semitism. They will gravitate to seeing the, the, uh, the, 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 the non-importance of Israel. They will not see it. And when you put yourself up against the Jews, you are putting yourself up against the Abrahamic covenant and you are personally putting yourself up against Yahweh. That's what's happening. And Biden doesn't understand it. Most Americans don't understand it, but you do. So you and I have to fight for this. So basically God is demonstrating that his character will fulfill this. And that's the same thing with us. Whatever he calls you to do, God is saying, trust my character, I'll make sure it happens. Now, interesting enough, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of, the, of Egypt to the great river, uh, the river Euphrates. The Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, Rephaim, those are giant clans, those are Nephilim, by the way. Uh, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And you're thinking, well, what is all these boundaries? Let me show you in this passage what the true boundaries of the nation of Israel is. That's the boundaries. to the great river Euphrates, to the river of Egypt. It goes all the way back to Ur of the Chaldees, right? Where Abraham came from, cuts across through Saudi Arabia. That is the full dimensions, what you just read in that passage of the promised land. Now, obviously, Joshua never got it. No, at no time Solomon ever got it. So the land fulfillment awaits Jesus to do it. And when Jesus comes back at the second coming and rescues his people Israel, he will then give them the full boundaries that Abraham was told to give. That's amazing. So you can't ever say that Israel fulfilled its, its purposes in uh, achieving the land because that's the land. And all 12 tribes will own that. And Abraham will own it. It will be cut up in districts. David will be the prince in Jerusalem, a co-regent with the Messiah. The 12 tribes and the 12 apostles will be over the 12 tribes. And the rest of Israel, the kings and princes will be there as well. And we will visit Israel 
once a year in the, in the Messianic kingdom to worship Messiah, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. So people say, um, well, how do I fix all my trust issues? I got trust issues, Brandon. How did Abraham, what, what happened here? First of all, the reasons we don't trust, we fear being dependent on people. We fear being abandoned by people. We fear being vulnerable. And we take that and we apply it to God. Do you really believe that, that God cannot be depended on? He certainly can be, right? Do you think God's going to abandon you? No. Is God going to take advantage of him, you, him knowing every personal thing that you have, all your problems? No. How about this? Fear of being controlled, having no free will choice. You think God's going to curtail your free choices? He doesn't. Fear of being treated unfairly? You think God's going to treat you unfairly? No. Do you fear... Um, you fear trusting God due to you projecting onto God someone else in your life that you thought was God, maybe your father. Do you project people into God and that's how you see God? That's why you, don't, we won't, you won't trust them. So if you can answer, well, no, then there's your faith. He's totally trustworthy. Now, here's the thing I wanna show you and we'll end on this. Is God still working with the Jewish people? Oh yeah, even in unbelief? Totally, there are miracles happening all the time in Israel. Let me show you one miracle. One miracle to make sure they survive the six day war. Just let me show you one little miracle of how Israel won the six day war. Because ever since they got back in 1948, 1948 they had a war, people tried to eliminate them. 1967 tried to eliminate them. 1973, Yom Kippur tried to eliminate them, and every time that Israel was successful through miracles of God. Look at this miracle. I'm driving up to the Golan Heights, land of gently rolling hills and beautiful valleys that form the northern border between Israel and Syria. I'm going there to meet David Yaniv, a veteran tank commander in the 1973 Yom Kippur War. David, this must bring back a lot of memories for you being oh, up here. Oh, I'll tell you something. This is such nostalgia for me, especially after so many years just to walk in the same place where I used to be. Uh, you know, this area over there, just in front of us there, if you can look there. Um, we were on foot trying to find a way to get to this village. David Geneve was a young tank commander during the Yom Kippur War. We met on a windswept hillside just above a battlefield that holds some incredible memories for David and his comrades. So what do you do in a situation like that? You get on your knees very quickly. In other words, if you went forward, it was dangerous. What about just retreating? 
Whichever way, whether it's to the left, to the right, backwards or forwards, I mean, it's a minefield. We did the best we could. And we dug ourselves, we found, we managed to expose a few and then dismantle them. And it was a very slow po process. But at this particular point, a very, very strong gust of wind came. Something which we could not explain at all. I mean, it was so strong uh, that we literally felt that we were flying away. That's how strong it was. And mines that were buried 25, 30 centimeters in the ground just exposed themselves. And uh, we didn't have to dig them out. We were just walking through them. This is something I gather you hadn't seen the likes of before. No way did we see that. In fact, when we came back, nobody could understand that. And of course, uh, we didn't think of it as a miraculous thing of, from God or anything. We just thought, well, that was just a fluke, a wind that came, which we couldn't explain, and that was it. Well, when did the thought first hit you that it might have been an act of God? When we came back and were alive, when we really touched ourselves and thought, well, we are alive. A wind like this didn't happen before. It didn't happen afterwards. The minute these mines were exposed, that was it. There was no more wind. It was like the calm after the storm. Does God still do miracles for Israel? He sure does. Because he told Abraham, I am your shield. I am your, 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 uh, your reward. And he's still doing that today. Now, here's the thing. If he's doing that for Israel, then the promises still are good for you too as, a, as the church. He does it for you too. So that's what he uses Israel to illustrate that I will do the same thing for you individually. So if I can know that, then I can realize that Yahweh, Jesus, is totally trustworthy. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn for, about your covenant with Israel, how we're included into that spiritually in, in, during, through the new covenant, and th those promises of protection and reward also are given to us as well in different ways. We thank you for that. Thank you for protecting us. Thank you for providing for us. And I pray, Father, if there's somebody that doesn't know Jesus as their Messiah, they would come to faith in him today, realizing he died on a cross for their sins, was buried, rose on the third day, and offers salvation to anyone who will believe. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember... Keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.